Welcome to the fifth episode of our podcast series named The Most Important Issues in Business Crime, where we ask leading business crime experts from around the world to tell us about the most important topics you need to know about. The object has been and remains to briefly identify the most important issues, but not to catalog every potential one. Today, our episode focuses on the recently published economic crime bill announced by the UK government to enhance its efforts to crack down on economic crime and improve transparency over corporate entities, as well as important developments for corporations, boards, and executives and employees flowing from that. I am very excited to be joined by two of my expert colleagues in London, Rachel Metcalf and James Bowen. I'm delighted to have them and I'm sure you're going to enjoy hearing about what's going on from them. Thanks for doing this to both of you. Let's jump right in, Rachel. Uh, what are the new developments? Thanks for the intro, Doug. The Economic Crime and Corporate Transparency Bill was first mentioned in May this year during the late Queen's speech as a means to tackle illicit finance, reduce economic crime and help businesses grow. It's actually the second Economic Crime Bill unveiled by the UK government this year and was introduced to Parliament on the 22nd of September 2022. In a high-level sentence, by way of overview, before I dig into some of the detail, the bill introduces a package of measures building on the so-called Warfare Bill that was the first economic crime bill, now enacted as the Economic Crime Transparency and Enforcement Act, to tackle the estimated £100 billion worth of illicit funds that flow into the UK on account of kleptocrats, organised criminals and terrorists abusing the UK's open economy. The proposed legislation is lauded by the government as providing the most significant reforms to the rules governing UK company creation in 170 years. Part of the reforms includes the introduction of verification for all new and existing registered companies' directors and people with significant control over companies. It also requires greater transparency by limited partnerships to tackle their historic misuse as part of money laundering schemes, including requiring them to maintain a connection to the UK and enabling the company's house registrar to deregister LPs, which are dissolved or no longer carrying on business. This all aims to deter and prevent fraudsters from misusing the identities of innocent people and limited partnerships to disguise their criminal activities. So once companies are on the register, new investigation and enforcement powers given to Companies House will also enable it to check, challenge and report suspicious information to security agencies and law enforcement, meaning that it has the range to become a much more active body than it is presently. Also of interest, part five of the proposed legislation introduces powers for law enforcement agencies such as the National Crime Agency or the NCA to more quickly and easily search for, seize, freeze and recover crypto assets, including those held in crypto wallets. This is definitely a welcome change, which would bring the Proceeds of Crime Act 2002 up to speed with advancing technology and better able to tackle money laundering methods in today's digital age. And finally, it's certainly worth mentioning that the bill introduces an enhancement of the SFO's pre-investigation powers under Section 2A of the Criminal Justice Act 1987, 
Currently, the powers are limited to international bribery and corruption cases, and the Chief Intelligence Officer at the SFO has suggested that these changes will help them secure key evidence at pace and shorten the length of their cases. That remains to be seen. Now, as we know, the first reading in Parliament isn't really anything more than a formality. Reading out the short title of the bill and ordering it to be printed and published as a House of Commons paper. However, the second reading, which will present an opportunity for MPs to debate the principles and themes of the bill, is due to happen in a couple of weeks' time on the 13th of October. It'll be interesting to hear the debate. Wow. Thanks, Rachel. That is really interesting on the, the substance, which makes me think about some of the developments over here two years ago with a new groundbreaking law in the States, but also the process. I, I didn't realize there will be a debate uh, shortly, and I look forward to watching that and hearing about it. Let's turn to James. James, I'd be really interested, and I'm sure the listeners will be too, and like, what does this really mean for individuals and corporates? What are the things that people need to be worried about? Well, thanks, Doug. I guess I'd be saying actually the converse. I don't think people would need to be worried at all. It has for some time been a criticism of the UK Companies House that it fails to verify the information submitted to it. And this can lead to a number of problems, essentially for two reasons. First reason is because a registered company has a legal personality and it's quite difficult to pierce the corporate mail, both in the UK and, as you know, in the US. And so if you've got a company which a fraudster can hide behind, perhaps using innocent directors, non-existent directors, other companies as directors, it can really achieve a reasonable amount of protection for them against prosecution or against civil proceedings. Um, and secondly, people tend to treat a company being registered in the UK company's house register as being evidence of the veracity of that company. You know, as somebody might treat a the FCA register or a financial services register. And so assume that if they're dealing with a company that is on the register, they're dealing with a company that is legit and is in some way approved by the UK government. Whereas as a matter of fact, at present, entry onto the register doesn't really demonstrate that. This bill should help, assuming it has passed, to mitigate these issues. And in terms of how you know, people or clients outside of the UK might experience this, I've actually spent some time dealing with a fraudster who specialized in this kind of thing. And what he would do is he'd set up a cycle of nested companies, house companies, frequently with non-existent or unknowing directors. And then he would use these companies to bring litigation in the names of the companies they purported to be. So he'd set up, you know, he'd steal your company name, he'd put SPV1 after it, limited, and then he would go out and bring proceedings against your counterparties, against your clients, against your banks to say, actually, I'm the proper company and I should have access to all your bank accounts, which, I mean, may or may not be successful, hopefully isn't, but is a real pain for companies to have to deal with. So if the changes help to mitigate this kind of thing, I think it can only be for the, be for the good. Um, as for the remaining amendments, so outside the company's house uh, information and verification amendments, they, I think, I'd say they seem broadly sensible. They're less draconian, I would say, than some recent amendments to UK economic crime legislation. So for example, there I'm thinking of the changes to the sanctions regime, which imposed strict liability for sanctions breaches. I guess if I was a company and I was asking, 
really, what should I be worried about? My only question would be, how will companies' house be resourced to deal with these additional burdens placed upon it? How are they going to be resourced to do this additional diligence? What will this mean on the cost of applications to open a new company or to make amendments to the company's register? Is this going to cause any kind of friction in day-to-day -day business? Now, obviously, it's to be hoped that this won't be the case, but we will just have to wait and see. And I suppose to wrap all this up, I would say these generally are all welcome amendments, but whether they will be sufficient to achieve the goal that they're aimed at, you know, the epidemic of fraud that Rachel has already alluded to, is something to be seen. In my view, while it's useful for the SFO, for example, to be given these additional tools, what really matters is resourcing. I'm hopeful that this, as well as giving rise to legislative change, will indicate a new focus on the part of the government in on dealing with economic crime and giving its enforcement authorities the resources that they need to really get to the root of the problem. And I think that's my immediate reaction, Doug. So if I hand back to you. No, that's good, James. Rachel. Well, I think there might be a slight surprise at how quickly the UK has spun this year from a all business is good business uh, approach to one which has a far greater focus, at least on the papers, on transparency and stamping down on the use of UK corporate structures as vehicles for money laundering. This probably comes with a realisation for non-UK corporates who do business in the UK of just how limited the diligence done on entities registering with UK companies house currently is. Indeed, research by Transparency International has found at least 900 UK shell companies used in 89 corruption and money laundering cases. But they warn that the actual number could be much higher in the thousands or tens of thousands. So I think that while the legislative changes may have been spurred on by such as the war in Ukraine and the current sanctions landscape, as well as the UK's growing fraud problem, which was exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, if they are enacted, then they are set to remain for the long term. Though, obviously, as we've discussed, how much of a change this will herald will depend on the resourcing and attention to enforcement. But important, I think, for non-UK corporates to be aware of their obligations. No, Rachel, that's great. I, I, you know, we're so focused on day-to-day -day developments, we almost forgot how quickly things have changed in the UK in terms of the tone and the message about um, compliance, um, in a sense, as it relates to these issues. And let me ask James, before we close off, um, what, what else do you, do you, do you have any other observations if you were communicating to a non-UK corporate, what do you think is important for them to know? Oof, a nice broad question. I suppose one general point that flows from this or that comes to mind from this is that this isn't just a UK problem. There are an awful lot of companies regist registries where one can go up, pay a fee and effectively set up, set up, a, set up a legal entity without um, any real diligence of the bona fides of that legal entity. And there is scope for both UK and other companies of this type to really be used in fraud. And I'm thinking here particularly of the 1MDB scandal, where essentially one of the key mechanisms was just you, you, you take an entity which is meant to be receiving a significant amount of money from a bank, you set up exactly the same entity with a limited after it in a jurisdiction like the BVI or Cayman or somewhere, and you just 
get the money paid there instead. So I guess the overall message to take away is be really careful who you're dealing with. I'm not sure that really comes out from the economic crime bill, but uh, always one that's worth considering. Yeah, no, I think that's right. And for our clients who are worried about dealing with parties, for our clients who have to go through, you know, know your customer requirements, mm -hmm. I think, you know, cases like that are stark reminders of the downsides if you don't achieve, you know, what the rules require. The harm that can be done by bad actors uh, with access to these kind of company registries is pretty significant, I would say. Yeah. Excellent. Well, I've really enjoyed having you, Rachel and James. I really appreciate, uh, in particular, hearing about the new bill uh, and actually learning that there'll be debate coming up. Um, and I hope our listeners found that interesting. I hope our listeners will feel free to reach out to us. You can find our contact information on the website if you have any questions and that you'll check out our previous episodes. And last, that you'll join us again on the next episode of The Most Important Issues in Business Crime. Thanks so much.